0: Welcome to People of Hope, a conversation on finding joy in all things, with the pastoral staff of Ignatius House Jesuit Retreat Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Participating in our conversation is Father Peter Fink, who is on staff at Ignatius House, and Marion Monahan, a spiritual director and volunteer with the Ignatian Spirituality Project. Our topic this evening is finding joy in the midst of addiction recovery. We know that this time of social isolation can especially be a challenge for those in recovery or for those who have a loved one in recovery. Uh, Peter's gonna take the lead with some opening remarks, but I've asked Marion to open us first with a prayer.
1: God of compassion, uh, we have in mind all the people right now who are grieving, those in the hospital, frontline workers, families who are trying to manage work, school, but especially, yes, families that can't get to their meetings, those that are suffering with addictions, those that love people who are suffering with addictions. And in your love and compassion, you see us all, love us as we are and accept us always as we are. So for that, we thank you, and um, amen. Thank
2: you. Well, <clears throat> good evening, everyone, and welcome to our sessions on Easter Joy. And tonight, we're going to speak about uh, the joy of recovery. Uh, my name is Father Peter Fink. Uh, I am on the staff of Ignatius House Retreat Center, and myself almost 10 years in recovery. And we know that the path to recovery uh, covers many addictions, and there are many paths to recovery. My own path is sobriety from alcohol, and my path makes me a friend of Bill. You know, I can only talk of my own experience in the hope that it might be of value to others on their road to recovery, from alcohol or from any other addiction, and possibly even from the current virus. And those of us who are indebted to the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a great invitation uh, to joy in the promises. A phrase, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. That kind of amazement is what joy is about. These promises held out to anyone who wishes to be free of addiction of any kind. You know, none of us start the journey until we hit that amorphous thing called the bottom. But it's that moment of powerlessness, that moment of total mismanagement of our lives, that makes us say, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's where the road begins. Now the promises can seem too distant or too impossible when one takes that first chip to recovery. But when you look at the people around you and realize that those promises are already being realized, this the famous saying, God is doing to us what we cannot do for ourselves. Now I know that the God issue is of concern. You know, some have walked away from God, that God has been presented to them in their youth. Some simply don't believe in God. Um, some doubt about it. But sooner or later, everyone realizes that there's someone or something who is not me, who's there to guide and help me. So I am in recovery. But I'm also a Jesuit priest, and some of you may know that there was a Jesuit priest uh, who met and became friends with Bill Wilson as the 12-step program was coming to be. Father Ed Dowling recognized the similarity between the journey of the 12 steps and the journey of the, that Ignatius of Loyola put in his spiritual exercises. which are the stock and trade of the Jesuit order and Jesuit companions. So I deal with the spiritual exercises as well. Now, Bill Wilson proposed the promises as the path to sobriety. Well, in the spiritual exercises, Ignatius offers some additional guidelines towards fulfilling those promises. Ignatius names it the principle and foundation. like the promises, it's not something that happens all at once. It's a journey that you take throughout your lifetime. But in the exercises, the principle and foundation ask things like this. Who is your God? It asks, what does it mean that you're not the author of your own life? It asks you to address the choices that you make. And it makes really exactly what the surrender to prayer is about. Uh, some kind of assessment of the things I can't change and acceptance of it, and only changing the things that can be changed. Now once I admit that I'm powerless, well the principle of a foundation brings you to the one who is able to guide me forward. Christians call it God. But it's a God that each person needs to find and name. It's a reality that's in your heart. And in your heart, it yearns to be set free. Name it however you will, but let it out. Let it be free. It will save you. Well, the exercises give you a personality. There's a personality to this higher power. The 12 steps invite you to name the higher power in whatever way you want, but the exercises promises a God who is simply in love with you. Now, this is what the exercises are about. Let me just sort of mention it because it's really a piece of it. So the goal of our life, this is one translation, the goal of our life is to live with God, our higher power, forever. At its depth, this higher power loves us gave life to us, our own response to love allows God's love, God's life to flow in us without limit. All things in this world, all are gifts from God presented to us so that we can know that God is always with us and leads us to make a return to love. And so we appreciate and use these gifts insofar as they help us develop as loving persons. Now, this this higher power, it's someone who with whom I can be related. And the more I listen, the more I realize just how deeply he, she, it, they, however you name it, really loves us. So Ignatius goes further. If any of these gifts become the center of our lives, addiction, they displace God and so hinder our growth towards our goal. In everyday life, we must hold ourselves in balance before all these creative gifts insofar as we have a choice and are not bound by some previous obligation. Now that's freedom. In this short period of time, uh, I can only say a few things about the, further things about the spirit, these uh, principle and foundation, but it really is a key to freedom. So let me just, these are just a few scattered pieces and and I'll finish that and lead us into a conversation. Just by being of the earth, each of us has a unique original purpose. The God who creates us puts into each of us a unique original purpose. Well, sobriety is to discover that purpose and to live it fully. Second, you are unique and unrepeatable. So who am I and what am I to become? That's the question. Well, to live with God is to become what God hopes for in you. God's hope depends on your realizing that. Well, finally, one last thing. God creates me out of love in particular time and place with a particular talents, and temperaments, strengths, limitations. And God continues to create and reveal who God is to me and who I am before God. God invites me to partner with God, to build a more just and gentle world. And sobriety is to be who God made me to be, honor myself and to honor the uniqueness of everyone else. So that's a start and I hope it invites some comments or concerns or whatever in our way to to recovery, and now I pass it on to my colleague here, Marion.
1: Thank you, Peter. Uh, It's really good to hear your comments, and um, I'm going to riff off of a few things that you said. I'm going to start with the word freedom because uh, the exercises are about, you know, St. Ignatius's hope for us and God's hope for us that we can be free. And the more we notice our attachments and can deal with them one by one, and we can call them addictions, attachments, the freer we are to love, not only to love God, love ourselves, but love the people in our lives. And to me, the 12 steps are a very similar similar path. So one of the things you mentioned was about um, God and or God as we choose to understand God. And that makes me so uh, happy for the steps, because the steps don't eliminate anybody. They allow a person to come to the steps, come to a meeting, Al-Anon, AA, um, OA, and and to be received no matter what their belief is about higher power. So they get to name it. And that means that everybody can come in and feel welcome. And that's gonna lead me to my next comments. You talked about your recovery. So my first experience with Al-Anon, I realized today as I was thinking about it, was way back in 1978, 79. A dear friend of mine, when we lived in Illinois, her husband was dealing with addictions and she was raising three small children and she befriended a woman who was very involved in Al-Anon the 12 steps. And uh, thereby, I got to hear and glean and have some of those conversations at the same time, we were in the middle of dealing with some alcoholism in my husband's family of origin. I grew up with alcoholism also in my family. So that was my first, uh, that was my first taste. But my first meeting that I attended was in the 80s. And I can remember walking into that uh, first meeting, encouraged by another friend of mine who um, had people in her life that were dealing with addictions and feeling that it was the most Christian, and I'm gonna use that word, most Christian group I had ever been in, complete non-judgment, full acceptance, everybody around the room um, exchanging courage, and hope, and, and encouragement to one another. It, it was amazing to me to be in a group like that. It was really the first time that I could be in a place where, no, we was a, a, a level playing field. We were there for one reason, someone we loved, was dealing with an addiction, and we wanted to find our way out to freedom. We wanted to find our way to cope, and not only cope, to live well. Um, So I've been in and out of Al-Anon some of my adult life, but if it's okay, I also just wanna share, uh, when when you talk about the joy of recovery, and my first real joyful experience with that was when my brother got sober. My brother passed away in 1992. My brother Richie was 13 years older than me. So growing up was like I was an only child in a sense. I have two brothers much older than me, and I got to know him when I, when we were adults. When I was an adult. But the last 11 years of his life, um, he got into the program and got sober. He had 66 days, and about three years later, he went back for good. And I can remember uh, he wrote me a note about, he, he was in probably nine months or so, just uh, trying to make amends, saying that he loved me and loved my family. I, I can remember running to my girlfriend's house with this, with this card in my hands, showing her um, what my brother had written. But when I saw him, the first time I saw him after he went into the program was when I realized fully the miracle that he had experienced because literally his face looked different his demeanor was different none of the angst the chaos was gone he was peaceful he was loving and then we began a beautiful relationship of sharing my spirituality his spirituality in the steps my way of understanding God his way And he taught me so much about what it meant to be free. He taught me so much about what it was to be caught in his addiction and what it meant to come out of it. So um, I can still remember the joy I had and, and had all those years. And since then have had friends who have gone into the program. And so I want to call it secondhand joy almost, but I feel so happy for them and it's just an honor. It's an honor to, to hear a person's story of, of recovery. So now I'm gonna pass it back to you, Peter.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know, uh, hey, does Andy have something to say here?
0: <laughs> you know, I was, the thing that came to mind was, I don't know if you could talk about the theme of grace or even a Christian understanding of grace um, when it comes to the steps, because I, I, it seems to me that that's a big theme that runs through.
2: Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, one one of the issues that I have to, had to deal with, um, I was talking to uh, Marianne earlier, is the issue of uh, anonymity because, um, you know, obviously whenever I talk, and obviously uh, Marianne also, uh, we don't talk about other people. Um, but I had to be in a situation. I was in a church in New York. Where there were many people who were, with either either with alcohol or with drugs or with other addictions, and um, you know, when I when I first went away to a rehab place, I made it very clear I was not going to be hidden away somewhere. And so I used to write things back to the parish and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and it was important. It was important for me. To realize, and and when I came back, it was important for me to realize that to announce that you're an alcoholic and that you are in recovery is a great gift to the people that you serve. And in addition, because I'm a priest, I have to use uh, wine for mass. Well, I have permission to use a non alcoholic wine. And and I just felt it's it's not fair that I should choose just for myself. So I, but I had the issue. I said I wanted to make it available to people, but I could not have somebody over here giving that chalice out. It had to stay on the altar. If anyone wanted it, they would come up and take it. That's their choice. But I, I we did. So it was a very delicate kind of thing. But it, but it's a very important thing that. Being an alcoholic, I became something that was able to help other people. And that was a very good part of my ministry. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think that even, you know, I've encouraged people when they've shared with me struggles they're having with a family member to consider going to Al-Anon. I know any of these things are scary at first, but also what you do is you wind up, those people inspire you and you have hope knowing your life can get better. So I agree with you. We need to know people who are in recovery um, if they're willing to share it. I also want to say something about, you know, you you mentioned Grace, Andy, and I absolutely it is about grace, but I always, I, I like that. Uh, I never watched the show Will and Grace, but I love these two words together because it has to be my yes, my desire, my moving forward and God's grace. And they work in concert. And when they work in concert, miracles happen. So um, yeah, so I think it's both. This this beautiful relationship of knowing that God is empowering me to make the changes.
0: I just want to share, a thank you for that, uh, the working in concert with one another, um, that it's a partnership. And, you know, I, in Ignatian spirituality, I talk all the time about how um, this whole thing, the spiritual life is a collaboration with God. I want to share a couple of comments from Facebook. Um, Kathy says it's it's interesting and compelling to hear your stories. She says there's a difference between just quitting or drinking or gambling or refraining from an attachment and the joy of the freedom Marian uh, spoke to in her brother. And then also, um, Sarah asks, how um, has your joy grown throughout your recovery or was it most palpable at the beginning?
2: Um, um, I would answer that very quickly and say it has certainly grown like everything else. And it grows, uh, let me, the first statement, is that's just stopping drinking or stopping taking drugs or whatever the addiction might be.
1: Right.
2: Uh, that's a first step, but it's not really sobriety. Sobriety is really what those promises are really about. I mean, there's a, there's a great section in, um, I can find it in my earlier text, which I probably won't be able to, but that's all right. Um, that about the, the promises, you know, what it talks about, um, it's a joyful place. Um, well, it, but I mean, it, it talks about the freedom that you have. And the more you are within, on the path of recovery, you begin not only to deal with your own addiction, but also with what five and six, or, or six and seven, rather, are about all of your character. Defects and character defects are things that limit you in a variety of different ways. And so if you constantly, and that's a, the, the harder journey, constantly try and move away from those character defects, you again, you gain greater freedom, you gain greater joy, you gain greater uh, and, and And actually, if you pl- even play further into the, uh, the 12-step program, the final one is to be available to help others. Because the most important thing of addiction is not just stopping yourself and not just making yourself, uh, you know, a, a, a nice-looking person, but being able to pass on to someone else what has what has been given to you. Because you know, recovery is not something that you achieve; it's something that's been given to you. Okay. In New York, there was a, one of the guys who was thirty years. Whenever he announced that, he always say, I was given 30 years. He never said I achieved 30 years. I was given. And that's the grace. So, yeah, I I would say that um, the longer you stay in the program, uh, the more joyful it is. It's also more difficult. It is not easy when you stay in the program. You get tired of it. You get tired of going to meetings. You get tired of a lot of things. But you know that lots of miracles are happening in the people around you you can share some of it you can receive some of it it's a great thing
1: yeah so it's um it's an ongoing journey just like our the spiritual life is always a growing moving journey and so the steps really provide this beautiful way to do that that personal inventory in mindfulness we call it being the outside observer of myself noticing what i'm doing what i'm trying to control when i'm being dysfunctional while i'm not setting good boundaries whatever it is when i'm not being loving whatever language you want to use so the 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 looking inward helps then me to become i hope a more loving compassionate human being in the world so it's it's always a process i want to say too what what peter just said about the growing joy but it's also hard uh or the the joy keeps growing when my brother died we were at his funeral uh when he was he was 54 when he died when he was 50 he got a big harley and he got a big tattoo and he rode around with his AA buddies, and uh, anyway, so that, that was his personality, but when he died and at his funeral and at the wake, his friends told us what he had done for them, how much he had helped them in their own recovery. Something he never talked about was what he was doing for others. Um, his whole life changed, and but that was so beautiful because it was like the fullness of the steps. It's, it's, uh, admitting my powerlessness, looking at myself, asking God to change, and and then continuing, and then helping other people. So, uh, yeah, it was it was lovely. Um, and I think for him, it probably continued to grow. He had a lot of amends to make up for, and I think he he tried for his whole life.
0: There's uh, a gene on Facebook commented, you know, I can't force solutions. You know, we're given free will. Um, you know, and she talks about how, uh, God never forces, right. I always say God never dictates, God invites. Um, it was there ever a point in everywhere, um, or I guess, what was that point where you, you realized that you can't, you can't force the grace? God had to take kind of take over. Can I- well, I, I would say that, um,
2: You can always spot, I call the bottom, you can always spot a moment. And you should never, ever forget what that bottom is, however you do it. But it's never really just the bottom. And if you're dealing with that phrase that God is doing for us that we could not do ourselves, I would say that long before I got into the program, God was already guiding me. And so I didn't think it was... um, uh, some radically new thing. After all, I, I'm a theologian, I, I know all sorts of things. I, I always say, a lot of people don't understand God. I had too much God. But, uh, but the one thing, for me, there was a single moment that I can think of it was a single sentence that was a critical sentence when somebody asked me, what was it like when you stopped drinking? And I couldn't answer the question. And that was the issue, just that simple statement. What is it like when you stop drinking? and been, i i I had no idea. and then I had to make a choice that that really hit me, and sometimes it could have it could've hit me before when it would passed by, but that's the one that hit me. And then the choice was, do I keep drinking or do I throw it all away? I threw it all away, but that was so I, you know, I, the, the, but it, but even there, I could look back and say that was God doing something for me. This wasn't me.
1: And and from an Al-Anon point of view, uh, there's a saying, don't create a crisis, but don't prevent a crisis. So don't create one and you can't prevent one. And so from that point of view, you can't force another person to do even what is in their best interest. And so you have to let go. And a lot of the process and the steps then for a person who loves a person who's dealing with an addiction is to lovingly is to lovingly hold them and let them go because you can't control their behavior. It's, and it's really hard when it's someone you're close to and someone you love and someone, you know, can literally hurt themselves. Um, but, but you can't force it for them. It has to be, it has to be them that comes to that decision.
0: Um, Sarah says, Peter, Peter mentioned being amazed and how that's connected to joy. How are you both amazed today regarding your journey?
2: That's a good question.
0: Uh, amazed, uh, I'm amazed
2: when I'm sitting at an a, at a meeting and somebody comes in and they're in for the first time and they have not had it, they're doing what I said that at first, what they call that white chip, the first chip. Um, it's amazing to see people continually seeking uh, recovery. I mean, one, one, one of the interesting things about the program is that it says, um, you only come into the program when you want to stop drinking. It, it, it comes out of you drinking or whatever but i'm just going to stay with the drinking uh when you want to stop drinking you come into the program uh, i had a situation in in new york when somebody came in and they wanted to talk about they wanted me to talk to somebody else somebody else came in and the guy sat there and told me uh five different ways reasons he wanted to keep drinking so we said what should i do and i said keep drinking and he's you know he i said you know if you finally come to a point where you don't want to drink, come on back. Because I think, so part of the amazement is just seeing, we use that phrase, the miracles. To see the miracles that happen, whether it be someone just coming into the program, someone who you know who says, I, I, I've been 40, 42 years sober. That's that's an enormous, annoy- so there's, there's a lot of amazement when you see uh, what happens in that sense of uh, the joy that comes from being sober. Yeah, that's what I meant by it anyway. Mary, what do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the word amazement too, because uh, just in the last 48 hours, I had two amazing conversations. One was via text and one was over the phone with um, people who are in recovery a dear friend of mine who's now probably got 10 years recovery and how much it has meant in her life it's still amazing she just recently lost um a parent she had to uphold she had to hold up her whole family with all the things going on she got through it beautifully. She um, she was a pillar of strength as she was grieving, and it's amazing and beautiful to uh, to observe to be a part of her life. And then uh, another person I talked to a couple of days ago who's had a couple of stories of the journey that they're on, and moving towards what you describe, Peter, this this continuum, but in in recovery and. Uh, making progress and it's so beautifully amazing. So for me, it's um, it's observing that and it never gets old. It's always beautiful and I do use the word miraculous. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it.
2: that that, that phrase of uh, you know people going through really difficult things where somebody just shares that. they say, you know somebody died, somebody got sick, this is this is all going on, and I didn't have a drink.
1: Yep. That's
2: amen. It. That's exactly that, right. That's the joy. That's the joy I'm talking about. It's sort of like I went through it all and I didn't have a drink. Yeah.
0: I want to offer an opportunity to, to offer some final thoughts, but um, you know, I want to acknowledge that there could be uh, someone listening who recognizes that they have an addiction issue, uh, but they're just quite not yet at the place to, see, to attend a meeting. Is there any advice or encouragement that you would give someone like that?
2: If they really wanted to stop, like let's say again with drinking but stop whatever, but if they really wanted to stop, uh, I would simply talk with them. I would give them some courage i would give them some i would probably speak about some of the miracles that happened. i would try and ease them into the point where they would want to say maybe i could give it a try maybe i can give it a try
1: yeah and um the fact is that there's people change people can change their lives can change Uh, i just want to mention uh, the ignatian spirituality project too uh, that ignatius house sponsors and retreats from men and women in addiction recovery who are also experiencing homelessness, but their lives, many of their lives have changed because they've met a God who loves them and they're they're in a program. So uh, I would encourage anyone, wherever they were at, whether it was a family member or someone that was wondering about their own drinking to just take somebody's hand, someone will go with them and get to a meeting and see that they're gonna be accepted yeah. and loved.
2: Yeah, one one final thing, um, at Ignatius House, we do at least two um, recovery retreats each year. Um, and this year, because of the whole closure of everything, we're going to start up the end of June and begin going from there in a variety of different ways. But the first retreat that I will offer is a recovery retreat, and it's gonna be on steps one, two, and three. Is going to be on, its, on the step that's trying to find God in our midst and in our lives. Uh, later on, we do one on the drop the rock five or six and seven, and another one done on eleven and twelve. So, it, but, but the one uh, the, the one on uh, June 26th 28th, um, you know, if, if if it's something that you would find interesting, this two night retreat is maybe may a good part of your own recovery. Uh, so I welcome you, and uh, we welcome you to come.
0: Well, thank you, uh, both uh, Peter and Marion. Um, and thank you, all of us, for joining us uh, this evening for this, for this conversation. We invite you to join us next week at the same time when Father Joe Lingen comes back uh, to join us along with our friend Kathy Spornik as we discuss finding joy in the midst of grief. Uh, We invite you to keep connected to all of our upcoming offerings, virtual and in person at IgnatiusHouse.org. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Be well and have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Learn more about Ignatius House by visiting us at IgnatiusHouse.org or following us on social media. And be sure to subscribe to this wherever you listen to podcasts. May the blessing of God be with you always.